witnessing a front three-quarter view of two adults sharing a tender moment. Hello and welcome to Front Three Quarter View. My, it's almost turning into a weekly podcast um, on Twin Peaks and all things related to it and within the Twin Peaks universe. So far, I have talked a little bit about myself and uh, my last podcast last week was about nostalgia and hauntology and I kind of rambled on for half an hour about the end of the return and where the town is left at the end of season three and sort of the effect of Cooper and Lynch and Frost's view of nostalgia and how it plays into the series. But now I am going to talk a little bit about the end of season two. I have been re-watching the show um, and this week I finished season two and I really, really loved it. I enjoyed it far more than I had on the previous couple of times I've watched it. I thought it was much more interesting than I think it's often given credit for. And I think that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today. A little bit about the last half of season two. So the post-Laura Palmer episodes of season two. And their standard and my thoughts about them and some of the behind the scenes stuff that I picked up from the documentary and and also people's perspectives, the cast's perspective, um, particularly on the episodes that they made towards the end of the original run. So this one's going to be about season two. Quick note to say that as always there will be spoilers within the podcast and I very much hope you enjoy. So, season two is generally, well, generally assumed to be of a less good quality to season one. I think the guy that played Mike Nelson said in the season two documentary on the DVD that in series one, all the episodes were like little movies, and in season two, it basically becomes more like a TV show, and it, it does. It becomes more conventional in a lot of ways. There are a lot of other directors. There's a lot of other writers uh, who are kind of brought in. Lynch and Frost are there for the early few episodes of season two, and obviously Lynch directs the opening feature-length episode. And then they kind of go away to make Wild at Heart and Storyville, Storytime, Storyville. I'm not quite sure what the Frost film was called. But they go off to make those and then kind of come back towards the end of the series. And you have, I think, I think I'm right in saying this, you have Mark Frost's hand kind of over the majority of the series. Um, but it's particularly noticeable in the Earl storylines and obviously in the last few episodes of the Laura Palmer story. And it's a fairly well-known fact within the Twin Peaks universe that... Um, they the creators were under pressure to reveal who killed Laura Palmer and they did so about halfway I think slightly sooner than halfway through the first series the second series and they and and lots of people consider it a mistake lots of people think and the creators did at the time and I think the producers and the cast did as well that reveal 
Ling the Killer and taking away the reason that had made this series so engaging week after week was a mistake. I'm not so sure. Um, There's an assumption along with that that I think a lot of the producers maybe had or a lot of the audience have taken since, that if the killer hadn't been revealed, if the mystery had been ongoing, the series would have remained as popular as it had always been. And I don't agree with that. Just because if you look at the trends of something that's really popular, there is a backlash, always, undeniably. If you look at the first two seasons of Friends, they did really well. But as soon as they... I think there was a, a Pepsi Super Bowl campaign that ran for about six weeks that Friends did the ads for. As soon as they did that, as soon as they were overexposed, the show got a backlash and Friends kind of tailed off until later on, many seasons down the line, it would pick up again. So... Seasons that are incredibly popular, like Twin Peaks was, inevitably have backlashes. That's just how it works. And I suppose in that sense, whatever you, whatever Twin Peaks would have done, the backlash would have been there. And I think fundamentally it still would have been good to keep the mystery going a bit longer because then at least people would have had a reason to tune in. And I think people, I think the audience would have got angry, I think they would have got bored, and I think they would have stopped watching if the killer hadn't been revealed, but maybe later on. Maybe it would have tailed off, it would have tailed off slower and it would have tailed off towards the end of season two rather than pretty much starting to tail off as soon as the killer was revealed. It did remove a reason, the reason that people watched it really and there wasn't enough other stuff there. Um, And I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what the ratings were and kind of when the big dip happens um but I I will look that up actually because that would be interesting to know but it's interesting what then happens when season two does have to rely on other plots and other characters to sustain itself because once Leland is revealed that's it so what do you do then how do you carry on a series where the spine of it has been taken out and that's something that Mark Frost says on the documentary as well that it needed another spine and it took them a while to find it it took them a while to work out where the series should go next and the initial plan was for Cooper and Audrey to get together and it would have followed their relationship and that might have more effectively sealed the gap between the end of Laura Palmer's story and the start of Wyndham Earl's. Because I think when Wyndham Earl arrives, the episodes really, really do pick up in quality and there is a really, really engaging character in Wyndham Earl. And I think they just keep getting better and better from that point. But it's that weird middle time between Wyndham Earl and Laura Palmer where there isn't really a spine to the series and the episodes are generally accepted to struggle. So my personal kind of experience of season two is that obviously once the killer was revealed, I didn't really know what was happening the first time I watched it. And then I watched to the end and I watched the finale and I was like, ah, the finale is great. Back on form. And this time I've really, really fallen in love with the town and the characters. And as a result of that, I've actually really invested in the storylines that happened post Laura Palmer. I even quite enjoyed the James and Evelyn storyline this time. I really didn't expect to do that, but I really actually loved it. Well, that's a bit strong. I enjoyed it in a way I hadn't previously. 
and it's just started hailing in Essex in England. It's it's the weather is absolutely awful. So wow, I mean it's it looks proper like apocalyptic, cloudy. It's great. Um, it's a very suitable backdrop, I think, to the podcast. If only you could see it too. Um, so the the ending of season two is a strange one, and I. I have started to like it more and more and actually I've I just really enjoy watching the characters carry on and it's a difficult one because what do you do when you get to the end of the Laura Palmer storyline you you find a, another spine and they thought at the time I think Frost says that gradually introducing the next plot was the best way forward and what he would do now is introduce Earl a bit earlier that to me makes the most sense um to bring in Earl as the Laura Palmer storyline ends and then the Earl storyline begins. One story ends, the next one starts. But because there is this transitional period between the two, you end up getting some very strange choices. I don't know whether the Cooper and Audrey kind of consummation of their relationship, I don't know if that would have sustained a plot for long enough. It would have kept Audrey and Cooper directly at the centre. But then Audrey has a really great arc in the end of season two. I love her season two arc. She, you know, throughout season one, she's this kind of schoolgirl, but she's very kind of confident and is precocious the right word. I don't know. And then in season, the end of season one, she gets kidnapped. And then in season two, she just spends quite a few episodes being kidnapped and drugged and then recovering. But then you hit the episodes where she has to take over Ben's business because Ben is reenacting the civil war in his office and Audrey really really comes to life it's Audrey kind of taking over the family business I think is exactly the plot she should have had and I think if her and Cooper kind of consummating their relationship if that had been the focus I wonder whether she would have had the same level of kind of power and intuition and drive that the character needed to have so I I really enjoy Audrey's storyline and I think um I understand why Kyle McLaughlin felt uncomfortable with the Cooper Audrey storyline I think there would have been something slightly uncomfortable about it in viewing but when that option was taken away it did kind of leave the producers with this moment of going well what do we do now So, what happened with the ratings? Well, episode 16 of season 2, Arbitrary Law, the one where the killer is revealed. That one, 12.4 million. Dispute Between Brothers, the one after that, 11.1. Then it goes back up to 12.1 for Masked Ball, um, which is where Nadine falls for Mike. And Denise arrives, which is just an, a great choice of this period. Denise is not only a great character and really well played, but just such an important character as well. And such an interesting, brave choice for those producers to make. So I think Denise, fab, brilliant, brilliant stuff. But in the episode after that, you go to 10.3 million, then you go to 9.8, 8.7, 8.2, 7.8. 
Then it goes up, then it goes to 9.2 for a couple of episodes. That's interesting, as Annie arrives and Wyndham Earl is kind of starting to pick up speed a bit. It kind of, it, it, it peaks, pardon the pun. Then it's back down to 7.9, 7.4, and then the finale, shown as a two-parter, got 10.4 million. So it's it's a strange thing. Ratings do decline really, really quickly. But also, they're, they're not that low. Um, I mean, compared to the heights that the series was getting, the pilot got 34.6 million viewers. Oh, my God. And the series, series one was hitting 15, 16, 17s on average. So it is a, it is a plummet like from from those heights and I think season two had season two started with 19 and then went 14 13 12 11 11 and then went peaked up for 17 so some of these are depending on when they were shown and the set well also the 17.21 was the one where the killer is revealed that's a series one level rating and then it goes off. Then people realise, okay, so what? what is in its place? Um, and by Twin Peaks standards, it seems to drop quite a bit. So, I, st- I still think there are some really amazing things to be found within that post-Laura Palmer half of the second season. I think that Annie and Wheeler are great additions. I think that Ben's Civil War plot and um, trying to find justice for the Pine Weasel are less great additions. I think there are still some questionable choices. Um, Wyndham Earl is great. The fact that Nadine gets a bit more of a plot, I actually really like. I really like Nadine's plot. Um, I think it's a lot funnier than her season one character, actually. Um kind of Catherine becomes Catherine becomes a lot more interesting in season two I think obviously you have you know you have her brother is alive which is the most soap opera twist in the world and I'm not a massive fan of it but and you also have Thomas Eckert and and things and, and there are a lot of new characters but I think Catherine really comes into her own in season two because once she's out of the ridiculous and also offensive disguise um in season two, she really just gets to like chill and win and just be this really powerful woman who can just, you know, do exactly it feels what her character was designed to do. And I feel like the season, as season two progresses, actually does really well by its female characters. I think I think Audrey and Catherine are really well served. I think Josie is a fascinating character. And also, um, Joan Chen's performance of Josie is so good and it's so subtle. And I never realised this till my rewatch. But she is different with every single character she meets because she has a different relationship with every single character she meets. And she puts on this persona with everyone, depending on what she needs from them. That's what Josie does. And Joan Chen does that so subtly, but so well. And you kind of think that Josie... A lot of the time when she's with... The scenes where she's with Harry are just not my favourites at all. I really, really don't like the scenes where she's with Harry. But her character in those moments is this kind of like pathetic, very weak person. And then you realise that's entirely put on. And that's a very deliberate choice that 
Joan Chen has made and that the script has made. And I think that that really pays off, actually, in the end of Josie's storyline. Um, I think Harry being drunk in the episode after that pays off less well. Um, but that's that's another discussion. I think the appearance of Lynch in the end of season two is really funny. I think he's great in it. Um, and I, I do wonder what him and indeed the rest of the cast must have thought to him turning up and doing those episodes. Like when he got those scripts to come and be Cole in a couple of late season two episodes. I really want to know how everyone else reacted to the fact that he'd come back and how he reacted to the scripts. Um, I mean, there was an interview a couple of years back where Lynch said that the second season sucked, which is a fairly common perception of it. And you do kind of wonder what it was like when he was, you know, when he was there. Um... And I just think that would have been a fascinating day at the office, that when Lynch turned up. But he plays Cole really well, and the scenes with Lynch in in season two are really funny. And that's where the title of my my podcast comes from. You know, that's my favourite, I think that might be my favourite Twin Peaks line. James's plot is interesting, and I feel like it belongs to another show. I didn't mind it this time, but it doesn't really belong to Twin Peaks. And I think partly because you're leaving the town, partly because it very much fits into a lot of kind of early 90s and 80s soap opera cliches. It's almost like going into Invitation to Love, isn't it, a little bit, those James and Evelyn scenes. But it kind of works for James as a character in the sense that he has this drive, literally, um, to get away. And... I think all of that driven by Laura, driven by Maddie, as I was saying last week in the podcast, that's really important. Wyndham Earl's plot is fascinating and Wyndham Earl's just madness and the way that he's played is just genius, I think. There's so many interesting facets to him. His character does so many weird and interesting things. He's so entertaining to watch. There's a level of darkness to it that kind of makes it feel more Twin Peaksy, but because it's that kind of melodramatic darkness, it I think the show works better as a TV show because it's trying to deal with things it it or because it deals with things in a more dramatic and melodramatic way. You know, Twin Peaks is so unique and so brilliant because it's unlike any other TV show, especially in its early episodes. But there is, I think, a joy to be found in those those moments where it, it's a bit more formulaic, it's a bit more run-of-the-mill, pardon the pun again, um, than it kind of... It, it gets to that stage later on, and I think that's that's an interesting facet to it and quite enjoyable to experience, I find. And then, of course, you have a finale, which is just I mean an insane piece of television and filmmaking um it's ironic that the man who plays the giant says on the season two documentary that he doubts he'll ever be in anything quite so surreal again and then he's in season three and you must think well (laughs) the the only thing weirder than the last episode of season two of Twin Peaks is season three of Twin Peaks it really is you know that that finale is is quite incredible 
and it's a really interesting way of exploring the end of a storyline. Later on, in another podcast, I'm going to read the script for the original finale episode as planned by, you know, Frost and Peyton and Engels, and I'm going to compare it to the season two finale that was aired and talk about each one more specifically. Because I was just thinking when I got to the end of season two that because I had really invested in the way the story was being told, in the characters, and in Earl as a kind of plot line, I wanted to see a slightly more normal Frost, Peyton Engels version of that story, I think. And I didn't feel like that originally. Originally, I was just like, eh, Lynch is back, it's weird, it's great, you know, the Red Room stuff is brilliant. But there is a slight hint of dissatisfaction just because the plot could have been resolved more faithfully to the episodes that had come before, purely because, you know, the series was being made in a certain way, as I say, quite formulaic, and to have a formulaic ending to the plots that have been set up would have been, I think, as interesting as getting the ending that we did. Um, This comes back to a whole discussion about, about what exactly each creator thinks about the show they're making. And... Frost does a great job and the other writers and producers do a great job on season two, I think. And I saw someone the other day on Twitter say that the problems they had with the return was because there wasn't someone like Harley Payton there. Just making Lynch and Frost even more kind of TV oriented. You know, I mean, it's it's quite clear when you look at the return as presented and when you read Secret History of Twin Peaks, the different perspectives on the show. And even when you watch the pilot of Twin Peaks, which is just one of the best bits of TV ever made, and also the end of season two of Twin Peaks, which is super enjoyable in its way, the approaches to both of those, to making a TV series week in, week out, you know, compared to Lynch's view of the series and even the town and the characters, you get a real sense of the difference of those things. So I suppose what I'm saying is, it's always fascinating to look at the different things Frost and Lynch bring to Twin Peaks, and I think Frost is too often dismissed. I think he's an incredibly important part, and actually I think the other writers on season two are also incredibly important parts, Harley Payton and Robert Engels in particular, are essential components of the show and I, I and the show week in week out continuing as a TV show as it must and I think that's it's really important to remember kind of everyone's role in it and I kind of went off on a bit of a tangent again there I guess my point is there are things in Twin Peaks that are attributable to Lynch there are things that are attributable to Frost They don't want to ever discuss which bit is which. That's 100% understandable. And why should they? And there is a notable stylistic difference between the two's approaches to the show, though. Um, And I think there is merit in both of them. I think there is joy to be found in the weird stuff, which is doing Lynch's part of it a disservice hugely. But... There's joy to be found in the non-sequitur stuff, the surreal stuff, the bizarre nature of some of the things that Lynch 
kind of has clearly influenced strongly and there's a lot to be said for the weird stuff that Frost has contributed and also for the more linear storytelling that Frost, Peyton and Engels were capable of doing at the end of season two. I think both I've I've learned to enjoy both of those things equally actually. I would have been really interested to see an alternate season two finale which is a bit more normal but equally I love the season two finale we get because it's close to being unfiltered or it's slightly filtered lynch and I feel like slightly filtered lynch is my favourite kind of lynch and I, I really do love the season two finale. So it's fascinating when you take a group of creatives and or a pair of creatives who then branch out to work with other people who then create something that has to be made every single week and therefore by definition has to be made by lots of other people and creative voices. It's always fascinating to look at the change of something and to look at what all of these different creative voices bring to it. And I think the thing I've learned through my season two rewatch is that they really all do bring something amazing to it. I really enjoyed Twin Peaks season two all the way through. And actually now I'm watching season three. Now I've moved on from it. Um, I, I really miss the world that the end of season two sets up because despite all of its new characters I believe it really does let you get to know the people of the town better and it just enjoys being in the town and I think having episodes like that in Twin Peaks are really important for it so I I really enjoy the episodes that that come after Laura Palmer's storyline. So that's it. That's my, again, my ramblings on season two of Twin Peaks um, and my very unexpected love and enjoyment of it. Thank you very much for listening. Next week, I will hopefully be talking about the secret history of Twin Peaks. I'm close to finishing it. So I can't wait to just basically say how amazing the secret history of Twin Peaks is. I will be raving about that for half an hour next week. But... Thank you very much for listening. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at James M. Writer, James M. Writer. And I have also recently set up a Twitter account, uh, which is at Twin Peaks Game, um, which is a Twin Peaks interactive account where I'm writing a brand new Twin Peaks story. And by voting in polls that I do every day or so, you can choose where the story goes next. And I'm really excited to keep going with that. So James M. Writer, Twin Peaks game, check them out, get involved with the game, help me tell this Twin Peaks interactive story. And I will see you next week on Front Three Quarter View. Thank you for listening.